square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome, friends, once again to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Steve Fielder here coming at you. Uh, <laughs> I'm still laughing about last week's podcast where I had us uh, all the way into March and celebrating St. Patty's Day already. Um, we're not quite there yet. I believe we're recording this on the 21st day of February, and it will uh, air the Monday following that, whatever that is. But... Um, you know, I had an interesting weekend. This was the weekend for the Joy Super Hunt that they held in Texas, where they brought together the world champions from PKC and UKC and the top dog from the pro sport organization and had a hunt. And uh, Joy did it upright, and uh, uh, they uh, looked like they had a great facility, and I understand had a lot of good food and uh the, the Stogie Dog, the PKC winner, was there. The Jenna female that won the UKC World Hunt and the Echo Dog uh, from Pro Sport went at it in a two-hour contest. Uh, they kind of lost me a little bit the way they were bouncing back and forth from the rules, but I think they tried to incorporate the rules of all those organizations. But the bottom line was when it came right down to the end, um, the – UKC world champion Jenna uh, uh, was the winner uh, with 175 plus, and second place was Stogie, the PKC world champion. I believe his score was 125, and Echo finished third at 75. So they all had plus points. Um, really didn't treat a lot of coons. I think they treat a total of four on the cast which I guess is a pretty good night. But uh, anyway, kudos to uh, Chip Kozer, uh, to Josh Michaelis, those guys that put on this event. Um, it was a great deal, and we got to sit back uh, and watch it on a Monday night on YouTube, on our TVs. And uh, so coon hunting has come a long way, folks, and uh, really uh, uh, congratulate um, the winners and uh, look forward to it again next year. Well, there's been a big story in the world of coon hunting in the week just preceding this podcast, and uh, it brings to mind a lot of situations that used to occur before the days of the GPS units and the telemetry equipment and all of that, where it was a fairly common thing for hunters to lose their dogs while in the act of hunting. And when this happens, all kinds of emotions come to the front. Uh, you know, first of all, you think, well, uh, is the dog injured or hurt? Uh, has the dog been picked up by someone and possibly stolen? Um, you know, and you then you can let your mind run the gam whole gamut of possibilities. Uh, the fellow that we have on the podcast today is going to tell the story of uh, his experience along these lines, and it was a, a drama that played out on the uh, internet through Facebook as he reported in uh, the situation. Hunters across the country shared. Uh, posts and pictures of the dog 
But uh, without spoiling the story or the ending or anything like that, I'm just glad to have my good friend from down Slidell, Louisiana, Billy Dwyer, with me today. Bill, how are you doing, friend? Hey, Steve. I'm doing a lot better now, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine you are. You have been through a very harrowing experience over the last few days. Uh, And without stealing any of your thunder, I'll just say that back in the day before you know, I didn't get my first tracking collar to the early 80s uh, when I w- moved to Michigan, and uh, they weren't even available up until that point. So I spent a lot of time looking for lost dogs, young dogs maybe that that ran trash and got out of pocket, uh, dogs that we had. One time we had a dog that got into a cave and was gone for four or five days before he finally came out. Uh, Had a plot female one time running a bear. Uh, She was one that just wouldn't quit. She was missing in the mountains for three weeks before she finally came off into a farmhouse. So I had some of those kinds of experiences, but there is just nothing more stressful in my mind than having a dog that's lost and you don't know why. Billy, why don't you tell us the story of your tree walker female? Let's set this up a little bit first of all. Ruby is how old now? Mm, She'll be 20 months coming in the 5th of March. Okay. And uh, where did you get Ruby? Um, She came from Michael Roseman in Arkansas. As a puppy, I got her when she was seven weeks old. I see. So this relationship with this Walker female has been longstanding, 20, almost, well, oh, uh, yes, at sir. least 19 or, or more months long. Right. Yeah. It, yes. So, okay. And and we've you've been on the podcast before, and yes, we've sir. talked about, in our episode with Keston Jesse, where we talked about pup training for dummies and uh, right. talked about Ruby in that way. And uh, she's been just, uh, just as a, a bit of background, she's been doing really well uh, the last uh, few weeks, hasn't she? Well, for the last five months, I mean, she started really running and training and um, by herself the last five months when she was 14 months old she treated her first wild one and she's been really turning it on and um i've been very very pleased with her very she's um probably at the point now where i wanted to try to start getting her hunted up with some other dogs and see how she was going to do in some hunts because she's been pretty good at doing it by herself you know yeah so for, I'm for really sure happy with her. right well i know that you are and uh well, just um, how many days before we we're recording this did you take Ruby hunting and uh, and started this uh, this story? Um, that was Saturday night. I went. So got- we're recording on a Tuesday, so uh, that was like four days ago, right? Oh, yes, sir. Okay. Well, we'll kind of take our listeners through that story uh beginning with okay. the night that you went hunting and kind of how it progressed from there okay um 
we went out there as normal, went to a very familiar spot. Uh, <laughs> well, I, this spot that I've been going to has been notorious for some bad boar coons. They rutting and <clears throat> and I've been getting on a couple of them, but I've been wanting to take her anyway. I've treated a couple of easy ones in there, but she's got on a couple of the bad ones lately and it didn't bother me too much. I figured, you know, what the heck? I did her in there and learn how to run those coons. You know, she's got to, she's got to get that part down anyway. And it didn't bother me. <laughs> and she wasn't taking them to any bad areas at the time or nothing. So you got to excuse my voice, Steve. I did some calling, so I'm probably a little hoarse. <laughs> <laughs> totally understood, brother. <laughs> but um, she um, I turned her loose as normal, and she went in there, and it wasn't very long, maybe. Five minutes. She was about 200-something yards, and she struck. Then she struck again. got pretty hot. And she went up a piece and then kind of curved over to there. And I didn't really want her to go, but she um stayed in this area, and she started to come back, and then she moved up. So I'm like, well, okay, maybe she'll get in this good bottom in here and get treed. Well, she went up further, probably about four or 500, struck off to the left. I mean, to the right, and then she just let out. Um, she barked like she was looking at it and got about 0 0.9, then went over a mile, <laughs> barely out of hearing. Here and there, not as fast as you can talk, she went, but I mean, she was going pretty good. So I knew where she was going, so I drove around to that area. I had to go out to club <clears throat> and go through a neighborhood, and I came down a road where she treed the other night. Well, she'd passed that up and was going down further towards pipeline and she just she got out of here. So I sat around there and I'm still I lost her on the tracker before I left the club. So I got around, I got her picked up. When I did get her picked up, it shot a line straight probably close to another mile going towards the back of the other club. And I mean she was and it kind of baffled me because I don't know. You know, I'm sure people are familiar with the dog, but it'll just give a little dog sound when it goes out of signal, and then it won't move. And you get around close to where to pick it up again, and it'll start moving. Well, when I picked it up, she was already gone from that spot, so I had to pick up and move again. <clears throat> well, I went around to another part of the club. I had to go out on the highway. I'll try not to make it too long, but I come in on a very bad road. <clears throat> the roads where she was at was awful. I can't get but one road down there. And um, she was probably what she was. She was almost a mile. And uh, I said, well, I'm just going to stay. It was clear, clear, clear. It echoed all over the woods. So I said, I'm going to try to call her. <laughs> I didn't wonder where she was at. So, And I didn't know what she was really running at that time. I mean, I'm a presuming it's a coon. I don't know. But <clears throat> I called her and called her, toned and toned and toned her. I even shot my gun a couple times. So I noticed her start coming closer. Well, while I'm calling, I don't know if this has anything to do with it or not, but it's kind of confusing. But when I started calling her about half a mile down the road where I just came from, boy, the coyotes started cutting up, and they were going crazy. So I just stood there for a day. don't bother me any, you know, but I'm just thinking about her. So she's coming closer and closer, and she's coming to a big thicket, man, big clear-cut thicket. And she cut it out of that thicket and it's kind of flanking me going behind me. So I go up, turn around, and I catch up to where she's right beside me, and I get to the bottom, and she's about 300 yards, a little more. 
And I kept telling her, come on, Ruby, let's go. Come on, come on. So she got a little bit under 300. And dang, Steve, that thing stopped and made a turn and a beeline straight away from me. And, I mean, she got to a mile in no time fast. I like that. I said, what in the heck is she doing? I had no idea. She was coming. Now, after time goes on, I think maybe, I don't know if them coyotes heard or whatever, she got between them or whatever, but um, she never has ever done that. She's come out to me as fast as you can, and she didn't. She turned around and went straight the other way. So after she did that, I had to leave the club, go all the way back around, and I got on this pipeline. And she was about 600. I tried to call her, call her, call her. She goes the other way. So she gets out of here and going that way, gets out of track and signal. But long story short, I drove all over that place, could not get to a signal. I thought maybe she'd got stuck somewhere down there or something, but I never could pick up her signal again. I drove back to where I turned her loose, drove here, drove there. I didn't hear her. This went on from 7 o'clock when I turned her loose till. I left there. I don't like doing that, but I did. I left at 3 o'clock in the morning, a little after 3. Um, and I never could pick her back up again. <laughs> um, like I said, I don't like doing that. I wasn't real concerned where she went back. I knew I was going to come back early, so I tried to pick her up when I got back out there. <laughs> well, I got up at, it was about 7 o'clock. Now, <laughs> let me interrupt you right here, Bill. You left you left your an article of clothing there before you left. Whoa. Correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I did do that. I took my jacket off and I laid it right where I turned her loose at in the grass on the edge of the this those trail that goes and I left the jacket right there. And um I tried calling her call. I never did get any signal or anything. She never did come. So I left my jacket there and I just went on home. Okay, you know? let me interrupt you again. For the young, uh, newer hunters, maybe haven't been around this thing all that many years, this was a common practice with houndmen uh, down through the years when you had to leave a dog out. And as I say, when there was no tracking collars, you know, and you had no idea where the dog was, um, you hoped that the dog would come back to where you turned it loose. And really... Um, Back in that day, dogs had more of a homing instinct than they do today. Uh, and I think this is, as the story goes on, which I don't want to spoil, but at any rate, you'll see what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, back in those days, a dog would ultimately, and it, this probably came from the old fox hunting days with the foxhounds, would they leave them out and let them run all night and then go back and gather them up the next day or next morning. But it was a it was a common practice, what I'm getting to, to leave an article of clothing, usually a hunting coat or something like that, out. And the dogs, when they came back in, they recognized that as being their owner's um, clothing or smell, and they would stay there. Uh, so that's what you hoped would happen at this point by leaving your jacket, right? Right. Well, okay. my thinking, my thinking was before I left, which I did, I started to kick my seat back and just nap there, but it was cold and I was tired. So I'm like, you know what? And Ruby grew up right there. I took her and trained her pretty much at that spot. So she knows that area. If she did farting around somewhere, she'll come back. I, this is my thinking. <laughs> but anyway, um, years ago, me and my dad lost some dogs out in the club, left them, left the jacket on the ground. 
three days went by. The th- well, two whole days and nights. And the third night we went out there, his old black and tan was a walking dog, black and white walking dog was laying at that jacket with three days. Yeah. So yeah. I knew, they you know, whatever they're doing, they get some sort of scent and they'll come back and they dog figure that's, you know, I'll wait here with this because I'm familiar with it. And you go back and get them. So that's my thinking when I did that. You know, yeah. we've done that right. before and it worked. You right. Know, so, right. Gotcha. Um, okay. Anyway, I left it there and I went ahead and went home. I got like three hours sleep, got right back up seven, grabbed a mug coffee, banana, and I headed back out there. And uh, I go the way I turned, I left the jacket. Well, first I got my tracker out, you know, my uh, phone, and I'm riding and I'm getting close to where I turned out, and I don't pick up nothing, don't pick up nothing. So <laughs> it's odd to me because, I mean, she's got to be pretty far not to pick up. So I get there, she's not by the coat. Um, so I drove around where I'd have been the, the whole night before, driving, 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 and I'm not picking her up on this dog at all anywhere. <laughs> now, this area I'm at has got a huge hundreds and hundreds of acres of woods, but they got neighborhoods surrounding it. Here and there, they got a highway, old snaky highway that goes out the back, and the main highway comes in the front. <laughs> and then they got one up the side. So, I mean, it's miles and miles to these highways, but they are there. So, I'm getting nervous now, and I go park by this little store. I don't know really what to do, so I post on Facebook, you know. So I get a bunch of responses from some good under everybody who's, you know, putting it out. So when I did that, my buddy Kevin, that um, he owns that land out there and gave me the key to hunt that property or next to my club property, he messaged me. Well, he called me and told me that his cousin <clears throat> – and a buddy of his was going rabbit hunting that morning about 5 o'clock. They'd come down Highway 90, found an orange dog collar still blinking in the middle of the highway. <clears throat> oh, Lord. So now my brain's going all over the place. I, I didn't think she would go to that highway. I thought after she got done doing whatever she was going to do, or she was okay, she'd go back. But um, So everything started running through my head, man. So time goes on that day. I'm still looking. I'm really kind of at a loss now. I don't even know where to go, what to do. The car was out there, but I go on the highway and I drive it all over, back and forth, back and forth, and I got out and I walked. All up and down the meeting, everywhere, and I couldn't find no sign of a dog being hit, anything like that. So about lunchtime, I come home, and um, the guy who picked up the collar called me, told me he was on his way back. I met him up here at the interstate, and uh, he got off and met me at the store and gave me the collar. And he said, well, it's broke. And I got to looking at the collar. And I saw where it was broke. And it almost was like a piece because this collar was in almost perfect shape except broke at the buckle. I think I sent you a picture of that. And there's no way somebody would have done that. It wouldn't have been like um, they didn't take it off and just throw it out on the interstate because that was my first thought the whole time, you know. Um, but after I got studying it, I knew she was out there now and I had nowhere contacted her, but I believe she was going to probably either be out there we're still out there somewhere. I'm just going to have to find her, maybe go back to the jacket or whatever. But I felt better about her not being stolen after I got the collar back. Just the way it was broke. Because, I mean, it was, it's just made no sense whatsoever for somebody to break that off of her. You know? Right. Well, as I looked at the buckle from the, the video that you showed and all, uh, just my observation is in that particular buckle, I don't know what the manufacturer of that, uh, 
that color is, and we don't have to say, I guess, but mm. it looked to me like it was very, uh, for an old mountain term, flimsy made. Right. Uh, it wasn't very thick at that point, and obviously that was a stress point. Uh, I, my mind is going to go toward an idea maybe that she went through a fence or something and, and right. hung it on there and snapped that buckle in that uh, weak part, you know. Yep. And then, and I think you probably had an idea from that too about how maybe the collar stayed on and until, you know, she got there to the middle of the highway. You have a thought on that? Yes, sir. I think that the way that buckle was on there, if she snapped it off and then it pulled around, I don't even know what you call that little piece that goes through the hole on the collar, but that little metal piece there. It's like a it, bit in a horse's mouth, kind of. It goes through. Kind of. Yeah, right. through there. Well, mm -hmm. if she pulled that around and pulled it off, it just wouldn't even touch that little bit. It would still be in the collar. Hmm. And you'd have to play with it to see what I was talking about. But evidently, when she turned and twisted or whatever she did, it pulled it, broke it at one spot and pulled it around and then snapped it off on the other end. And it left that little bit in that hole. Yeah, it the little tongue to that keep, goes. Yeah, the, right. Yeah. And um, evidently, just after she ran wherever she did, and it just started wiggling loose because it had nothing to hold on there. Maybe she got on the highway, the car was coming, she turned and run fast, and it slipped off. I mean, it's a mystery. Where I, I, the first thing I told her when I, well, I'll get to that part, but I was wondering, I wish she could have talked because I sure love to know how that happened. I mean, it was a mystery, but um, I don't believe human being was involved. Let's just say right, that. Right. You know, and right. it made me feel better because I was really getting disgusted and. I know people that live out there, and I went to all these neighborhoods. You wouldn't even know how many people I've talked to out there. Everyone was genuinely nice and was helpful and was told me they'd call me. I gave my number, everything. Now, there's a, there's a few skeptics out there, you know, people that not so nice. I was hoping that wouldn't happen, and evidently it was nothing like that. So I was really glad of that part, mm -hmm. you know. Well, Bill, to jump in, you know, your mind goes all different directions right when, when that dog's gone uh you know you think well you, you like to think better of people and certainly down through the years in my experience a lot of people have found a dog and called the phone number on the on the uh collar and i was able to recover the dog sometimes the story was good sometimes not because that's happened with dogs that were hit on the road as well but yeah. Uh, you know, you, your mind just goes everywhere because you really don't have, you know, flying blind because That's we, right. and, and this should let, uh, newer hunters know how valuable these GPS collars are now, because back in the day when we turned the dog loose, we, you know, yeah, we, we kind of knew the territory, and if the dog had hunted there before, maybe we figured they'd hunt up the creek and maybe back down or whatever. But we really did not know, uh, you know, once we no. turned them loose. So, no, yeah. All right, go ahead. But um, anyway, yes, uh, let's see. Today's you said Tuesday. Yes, Sunday. <laughs> I'm riding on a lot less sleep and everything by then. But um, 
I do a lot of traveling Sunday, looking everywhere on all those roads, talking to people. <laughs> My daughter, she's got everything on Facebook. She posted on all the groups to the animal shelter. I mean, there was like 46 groups over here that she shared and everybody was sharing. And I felt really good that if she was to come out, somebody would see her anywhere in those neighborhoods that they would call. You know, the only thing is, is Ruby's very, very smart. And she's very, not even timid at the house and all. She'll just jump right up in your lap. She's all, even a stranger, but out there, she's not going to just go up. She's not the dog just go up to somebody's house wagging a tail on the porch and, hey, feed me. She's not that dog, you know? So I had a feeling she was not going to be at somebody's yard. If she was, it wasn't going to be very long, but if they saw her, maybe they would call, you know? Um, but anyway, Yesterday, I went through Sunday night, never did get her back, went that night to the jacket, nothing. Get up Monday morning, go right out there, same thing. There was dew on the jacket. I said, well, dang, she hadn't even been here. <laughs> so I went, drove, drove the neighborhood, everywhere I could figure. I drove up and down the highway, still not on the highway. Um, Yesterday evening, I get back around to the club, and I'm going to go uh back there again, check the jacket. Well, there's a guy that stays out. I got to pass a camp going back to where I go hunting every time. And there's a guy that stays out there a whole lot. And I've been trying to catch up with him and I never could catch him. But yesterday I caught up with him. He was there. So I went and knocked on his trailer door and told him he broke the door. And first thing he said was, dang, I know, Bill, I already got a call from so-and-so and so-and-so. You lost the dog out here. I said, yeah, if you see her, just tie her up back here. If you see her, call me if she won't let you catch whatever. He said, Oh, no problem, man. He said, I feel bad. He said, boy, don't look good. He gave me some, he's a real, real nice guy, but started to get me down a little bit. <laughs> he said, it don't look good, though, does it? Da, da, da. So I don't know, man. I think she'll be all right. So I'm going to get her back, you know. So he goes, I told my wife. He said, I'll sit there and talk to my wife. He said, I'd see you pass every night. He said, boy, there goes Bill that coon, honey. He said, he's a dedicated son of a gun. Boy, he's going back there. <laughs> I was going back there from she was like seven months old. I don't even, couldn't even count the times I passed that place up, you know. But, and she even treed 175 yards from his camp. I had to go over there one time and got her, and I stopped and apologized. He said, don't apologize. He said, man, I walked outside and listened to a tree. I enjoyed the heck out of it. <laughs> mm. Well, Billy, so, let me jump in real quick here. Uh, you make a point there. I believe you you had a regular collar with your nameplate and phone number and so forth on her, did I you not? I just bought a brand new one, white, a red one with the silver strip, and the guy engraved it for me. Uh, I can't yeah. remember the name. Nice guy up there at Winter Classic. He did it for me. I well, had it on her. Well, no. the point to make here is that even though we have these GPS collars now, we always want to have identification on the dog. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. But anyway, um, when I got done talking to that guy there at the camp, you know, I left, and I drove down that road going back. First of all, let me back up a little. Yesterday afternoon, I went out there, and I stayed for about an hour where I turned her loose. <laughs> and I didn't know where she was at, what she was doing, but it was real clear, no wind. I started hollering. I just called and called and called called called. <laughs> I said, well, if she hears me somewhere, she'll come. My dog's got a whole lot better ears than we do, you know. So sure. <laughs> um, I waited for about an hour, and she never did show up. So I went ahead and left. So now I back to I leave the guy's camp and I'm driving down there. It's almost dark. And right before I get to where I turn loose at, I make a just a short little curve 
When I come around that curve, that booger was laying right there next to my jacket in the grass. She stuck her head up and barked at the truck at first. Ooh. And um, I looked at when I said, Ruby. And then she got up and kind of stoned around there to me, you know. So she just figured it was me. She didn't know what was coming around that corner, but she was sure waiting Steve, for me right there with that jacket. And so, what I mean, was your emotion right at that point? Oh, uh, look, besides picking her up and hugging her like a baby, I put her in the back of the truck. I didn't make a walk. I didn't make a jump in the truck or nothing. I just put her back there in the box. You know, I mean, I was so happy. I called my daughter, screamed at her, and all she could say was, shut up, Dad, shut up, really? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we was all happy. I said, well, let me call your sisters. My oldest daughter called me yesterday morning. I went over to see my youngest who lives over that way. So me and her went to Waffle House. And after I got done looking, they got something to eat. And my oldest daughter called me. She said, oh, I don't know what to do. Dad, I feel like we lost a sister. You know, I mean, they, they love this dog, you know. So. Oh, yeah. Well, she's a good dog, Steve. She really is around the house. She listens. She just, she's not just a hunting dog to me. I mean, this dog has become part of his family. So... Well, Billy, this is a thing that we try, and I think my colleagues with other podcasts, especially Hound Podcasts, have tried to uh, put forward this message as well, is that right. these dogs really are family to us. They, uh, these dogs really are um, not just our possessions. And, That's and right. you know, and I, I, I can make a point here. For many years, I fought the animal rights uh, movement because they wanted to uh, portray our dogs as something besides our property. And it's very important that we retain that uh, that position, that these dogs really are ours. These right. dogs are not individuals able to make their own decisions. We used to say, you know, you can't have rights without responsibility. Uh, the dog really, you know, we've had issues around the country where, you know, lawyers were representing dogs in lawsuits against their owners. Mm. And, and, you know, and that's definitely a slippery slope that we don't want to get into. Yes, they are our possessions. We own them. We feed them. We care for them. Uh, the reason they exist is because of us. But that does not mean that these dogs don't get very, very close to us and become parts of our family, become just like our kids, basically, although hopefully they don't uh, um, they don't command as high a level of our right. love and concern as our children. But That's at right. the same time. Uh, they mean so very, very much to us, and we do everything within our power to keep them safe. Um, that's why we have these GPS collars and so forth on them is to keep them out of harm's way and all. And, uh, uh, well, so this story, uh, I don't know when uh, I've had a happier moment than when uh, I saw your post on Facebook yesterday that you had found Ruby and that she was fine and all. And uh, so. Steve, let me say real quick, if I can just. Oh, absolutely. You got plenty I, of time. I understand. And look, and every coon hunter else that coon hunts on a regular basis and lives this life, not just the off the wall coon hunter, knows and understands 
when you take one out there and you turn it loose into the woods at night, anything can happen. And I've been there. I've lost. I've had to leave them before. Luckily, I've never lost one. I've never not came in or at least got one back. I've had one get hit by a car, I know, but um, I've never lost a dog I had to, that could not find it. That's been a blessing for me in a lot of years I've hunted. But um, I understand the risk. But it don't make it any easier to know that your dog's out there and you don't know where or if somebody took it or got hit or it's hurt. I mean, that's you still know the risk, but you're going to do it because it's not it's rare, you know. Um, but when it does happen, it's going to hurt. It ain't like we just take these dogs out there and if it gets lost or killed, so what? We'll go on to the next one. At least I'm not that way. I ain't going to do that, you know. So this dog's giving me 110 percent since I've been taking her. And I know people say, does you, you know, does dogs treat a coon for themselves or for you? Some might do it for themselves, but I believe Ruby does it for herself and me. Because I can see it in her happy look when I go to that tree or whatever, that she comes to me and she couldn't be more happier. You yeah, know, I mean, exactly. I, it's just, <laughs> so it's not just, you know, it's like me and her a team. We are. I mean, it's been, she's given me a lot and I'm giving her the same that's why I'm. It would never give up going out there. I mean, I was gonna get that dog by one way or the other if I could possibly stand it, you know. But um, when you get to become that bond and that team, you know, it's something special, and it just ain't coon dog owner anymore. Well, the, you, so. I couldn't say it any better, Billy. And uh, those of us who have hounds or have had them for uh, a period of time know that feeling very, right. very well. But, you know, we, it is true that these dogs would not want to be doing anything else. They, yes, they, they live to please us. They really do. But they love to hunt and Absolutely. pursue game and do what the, the genetics. Uh, it's with, a bonus to do it for the owner. And that's what I thought the good way I can yeah. put it is. They love to do it for themselves, but it's a big bonus when they can make you happy doing it. That's, oh, sure. You know, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am just ecstatic, really, that you and Ruby Thank are you. back together. I'm going to look forward to getting those uh, videos uh, again of her uh -huh. tree and those yes, coons down there. <laughs> Down there on the Mississippi, uh, Louisiana <laughs> line, I figured yep. it out the other day when I made a post that I had, uh, I had part of uh, of the locations being in Louisiana. You were actually hunting in Mississippi at the time, right? Right. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. yeah. Well, Billy. <laughs> yeah. One go more ahead. thing. Man, Steve, I just have to say it again. I posted last night, but thank you to every single person. I couldn't even name them all, but you know who you are. Thank you for posting. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for looking. Because, look, this dog winds up in the back of somebody's truck. She can be across states in no time flat. So it's important to get the word out all over, not just in this area. So that meant the world to me. And everybody showed compassion, concern. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate what words can say. That's just the bottom line. Well, know. Billy, of course, and I, I know I speak for all those people that, that 
that they're very, very happy that this story has a happy ending. They were happy to do what small part that they could to help you get your dog back. You know, when I get these stories of dogs like this, and it doesn't matter where it is on uh, across the country, this Internet, you know, has made our world very, very small. And uh, as you say, there, there's been many instances where dogs have been picked up and carried across state lines and yep. so forth. And so you never know. Uh, somebody has a new dog. There's a new dog in town. Uh, maybe the uh, not much history about it. Fellas out there, if you see this, you know, just be aware. And uh, who knows? You could help somebody get their dog back. Well, B- Billy, it's been a pleasure to, to have you on the podcast today. We're going to go into a second phase of this lost and found theme here uh, with the gentleman that uh, that went through a situation where other invi- uh, other individuals were involved and uh, and we'll uh, we'll di- uh, discuss that with him but I thank you for sharing Ruby's story and we're glad that it came to a happy ending and uh, wish you and Ruby a lot of success as you go forward. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. And look, I can thank you 10 times over again, because what you do on this podcast is absolutely fantastic. Not only do you bring us coon hunters, a lot of us pleasure in listening, but what you're doing right now in this segments and stuff is just absolutely outstanding. It's a great thing to have. But, you know, you wouldn't have this without Al Gore, so you need to thank him too, right? <laughs> That's right, brother. <laughs> well, thank old Al thank for you. the Internet. That's for sure, buddy. <laughs> thank you, Steve. You bet. A great guy right there, folks, Billy Dwyer from Slidell, Louisiana, with a happy ending. He and Ruby are reunited, and it feels so good. All right, folks, we're going to go into a second segment of our uh, podcast after this short break. I wanted to go back, and uh, for a couple reasons, I haven't talked to this fellow in a long time, and it's just really good to be able to... uh, catch up with him, but also he was one of the most active guys in coon hunting back in the days when I was real active with the registries. And so I brought him on now, and we're going to talk about some about his background and about the line of dogs that he's so very well known for, but also about his situation uh, in losing and uh, a coon hound. And so today I, I'm very proud to be able to introduce you to Mr. Charlie Butler. Charlie, how are you doing, friend? I'm doing good. Well, it's good to hear your voice again, Charlie. It's been a while since you and I've spoken. And uh, uh, I know back in, I left the UKC in 1998 and went to PKC and Probably didn't have a whole lot of contact with you, but uh, what what was the time frame back in when you were really uh, running the Buck Creek dogs uh, and campaigning them and and doing a lot of winning with them and all? About how long ago was that? Well, uh, that kind of <clears throat> you know I I've hunted my whole life. Uh, yeah, when. Um, well, I haven't hunted, but, um, I think the first time I ever went hunting, I was about six years old, but, but, um, I'd had, uh, 
night champions, grand night champion dogs before I ever got a hold of uh, um, the drum dog. And uh, <clears throat> there was a, a young boy that lived at Knightstown. He, he was born there. I hunted some with him. His name was Mike Thompson. And, and um, he had seen this pup advertised down at Harrodsburg, Kentucky. And, and so uh, he drives down there and buys him. And uh, so me and him hunted a little bit. And I had sold him a double banjo dog. And he, uh, uh, he chewed the tree. He wasn't mean, but he, uh, he just wanted that spot, if you know what I uh, yeah, understand what I'm saying there. And uh, so uh, Mike, he had uh, got this pup when he was about five months old. And, and, uh, he never, ever transferred the papers on him because uh, he was just uh, strictly ball mouth, if you know what I'm saying. And he didn't want a really tree because he couldn't get up there and smell where that cooning went up. Mm-hmm. And, so I'd hunted with him a couple nights and I'd had a, a young dog and I just sold him. And, and so I wound up buying that pup off of him because he thought he was going to be a ball mouth tree dog. But anyways, I hunted him. I had a grand night female. I hunted him just uh, a few nights with her. And, um, of course, you could just swallow all over her, if you know what I'm saying. And, and then uh, uh, one night, uh, about the third or fourth night that I hunted him, well, um, he split treed off from her. She treed the kittens. The old sow put the kittens up, and he went and treed her. And uh, I thought somebody had turned loose on me, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I was standing there waiting on him to tree, but anyways, kind of cutting that short. Um, that dog was just special, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And um, I had, I was, I was somewhat like some of the other guys, is uh, um, I'd get one to run and trim good, and somebody'd want it worse than I did, and I was all the time working, and I hated to see him stand sometimes, so I'd just sell him. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah i just really liked that dog and there was just something about him and um uh, he was started off on the right foot he never ever bothered nothing he was just straight on king but anyways uh i bred him to um this grand night female i had and i bred her to uh a couple different dogs and raised pups out of her and um, she was she was really intelligent and so was he but uh they would be a couple three pups turn out out of her and uh, other dogs and uh, so i i bred her to uh to him and she only had four pups but um um, the first litter, um, uh, I gave, uh, Clifford Dyer one and he, he named him Dyer's Buck Creek Butch. And I kept a male pup and boy, he just started right off. And, uh, 
I got him hung in a fence. And, uh, of course, we had plenty of fences then. And uh, so. Uh, well, well, Charlie, let me jump in here just a minute. Let's set the stage for this just a little, little bit. You live in the state of Indiana, right? Yeah. Down That's in the true. southern part of Indiana, right? No, no? I was. Um, I lived. Um, at that time, I lived at uh, Carthage, Indiana, which was. Uh, oh, I want to say it was about uh, 35, 40 mile east of the uh, Ohio line, about the middle of the state. Oh, okay. I got yeah. you. Now, um, you told me, I believe, that you and I are the same age. We're yep. 76, right? Yep. I think you got me by a couple months. And now yep. this dog that you talked about there, that that, uh, what did you call him? Okay, when I, when I got him, Mike had never changed his uh, papers, and and the, and the name on his papers was Yeager's uh, Ranger, and uh, Junior Yeager at Harrodsburg, Kentucky, had raised that litter. Yeah, and he uh, him and um. A friend of his, I think his name, I'm trying to think, uh, it was uh, Bobby Ray, I can't remember his last name. Okay. But I think he was related to um, – um, it's funny when you get our age how somebody's name Oh well, I know that. Well, it'll come to you in a minute, so we can move yeah. on then. So, so you changed his name? Yeah, uh, I always hunted. I hunted a lot on Buck Creek, if you know what I'm saying. And, yeah, uh, I Blue River. I always liked to hunt the rivers, if you know what I'm saying. In the mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and um, so I'll be honest. I used to read uh, when I was real young. I'd read all them stories, you know, in the Cooner and the, the Full Cry and the old mountain music books. And, and uh, uh, old Pioneer Drum, he was Plot Dog. Yeah. And uh, I always liked that name. I always thought that really fit a dog, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was hunting on Buck Creek one night, and I said, you know, uh, Buddy, I said uh, I never, I never would uh, hardly name a dog until I uh, thought it was really going to make something. If you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, yeah. I just call it Bub or Bud or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, come here, dog. <laughs> I just said, you know, uh, your name is Drum, and I thought there for a minute, and I said, I'm just going to call you Buck Creek Drum. And, uh, okay, that's what I was hunting. Yep. And, uh, uh, my son still lives on a farm there. I've hunted many, many a time, uh, which uh, Buck Creek just runs right in behind his house. How about that? That's neat. But anyways, yeah. getting, getting go ahead with your days, story. Yeah. Uh, the second letter was Gracie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I let her, uh, I took her when she was four months old down to, uh, Kentucky and turned her loose. Uh, Orville Clifford Dyer, they had a brother named Junior, and he had a nice little squirrel dog. And I, I took two pups down there. There's only two in the two females in that litter. 
And then I'd never picked a pup. I would usually just take whatever was left and and go to work on it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I picked her. I said, I when I went down there, I said, Junior, this one's yours and this one's mine. And uh, if yours makes something better than mine, fine. But anyways, Orville, he called me in about a month and he said, hey, he said, uh, them pups is trans squirrels. He said, you better come and get that. Better come and get your pup before it gets to run and jump. So I went down there and got her. And I hunted her with drum, I think three nights. And she would already go hunting with him. And she would tree with him. And then she was treeing some on her own like the second night. But uh, I just, he wouldn't have nothing to do with it. So I just woke up there and tell her to come over, you know. And she was treeing squirrels at night. And how old was she there, Charlie? She was probably about five and a half months old. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I thought, well, she's going hunting by herself. I'll just start hunting her by herself. So the first night I hunted her, uh, I hunted her in uh, probably the biggest woods in that whole country. There was about 200 acres in there. And I flipped her in there and and I flipped her from the truck. I was just never a walking guy. Now I've walked and started pups, you know, in the woods. But mm-hmm. like I said, she would already go hunting with other dogs. So I wanted to see how she'd do that for herself. And she went right on. And I heard her put up probably uh, eight or 10 coon. And she'd locate on them and whack them a little bit to where I was thinking, you know, well, I'll start walking. And, uh, Next thing I know, she had hushed and she'd start running. So, uh, about the, she did that for a couple of months. So I decided, well, uh, I won't go till about one o'clock tonight. And then I'll just hunt, take the wind, take my shower and go on to work. And so I laid down, slept a little bit and I got up and <clears throat> I probably turned her loose about 1.30 or so. And uh, boy, she had a good track. And they was that was a 1,000-acre farm. And it had about 100-acre woods on it. And she struck about middle of that woods and went out of that. And, of course, corn was just probably knee-high, you know. And then she hit that cornfield, and I thought, ha. <laughs> I won't see her no more, you know, as much ground in there was in corn. And she made a circle out in there and come about about in the middle of the woods and just sat down and blowed the top out of it. And uh, while she was running, I poured me some coffee. And, and I thought, well, I think she's decided she wants to be a tree dog. So I finished my coffee. And... I got my rifle and I went to her and she, she had a big old coon and he was on a uh, tree just about like a uh, oh a little bigger than a steering wheel hmm. right next to a, a big beach and she must have been a nipping after him because that's where he was headed. Yeah. And a so, beach den. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you know, 
I've told this story to people, a lot of them, they, they believe you, they don't believe you, but it's just what it was. I, I knocked that coon down to her. And uh, from then on, that dog, when she opened her head, she would put a tree on the end of it. And she was as awkward as anything I'd ever hunted or ever hunted with, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But getting on to that, uh, she made night champion real quick, I think with two first place wins. Uh, I never hunted her in stuff small to make her uh, because I, uh, and, and, don't think I'm bragging or anything, but I knew what I had. Right. And um, it was the same way uh, she made grand by uh, uh, qualifying hunts and a couple of them first place. And you know uh, what them drew back at that time. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't think people realize the the uh, you know the number of dogs that a hunt would draw back in those days. Well, it was unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everybody in every town you went in, there was people that coon hunted. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, um, uh, I was at uh, when she got stolen the first time. You didn't know about the second time. But when she got stolen the first time, I was at the uh, Ripley County uh, Fairground, Osgood, Indiana. And uh, uh, Bill Bowling was hunting. And that was at the time when I had, uh, uh, I had bought uh, uh, Toller's Korean drum off of Larry Toller. Right. Yeah. I remember when you had that dog. Yeah. And uh, he had already made that dog a night champion. He was a night champion when I bought him. And uh, I never made him a tree dog. Well, of a tree. But I had to readjust his whole attitude, if you know what I'm saying, to, to get where I could win with him. And uh, anyways, um, I was hunting him. And Bill was hunting crazy. And uh, Bill Bowling. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, Bill loved his coffee like I did. And I'll be honest, we had had some, um, oh, uh, people that was too interested sometimes to run the hunts. So we had put locks on our uh, dog box. And uh, so, uh, if we left a dog in the box and we went anywhere, we always checked our box when we came back. And so we we just ran in there for a minute and uh, got us a cup of coffee. And uh, what that was, if I remember right, that was a uh, UKC qualifier. And I'd always qualify even if I didn't go. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, uh, when we come back out with a coffee, uh, uh, I walked around behind my truck, and it was fine. Bill walked around behind his, and he said, Charlie, Gracie's gone. 
and somebody you know, somebody had to plan this. It had to be somebody that knew. And um, they took a pair of bolt cutters and cut that uh, lock off, and the door was still open. Mm. They took the dog collar lead and all. So uh, the, the bottom of my stomach went to hurt, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. So, now, what had she had she won made a major title at that time? Yeah, she was already a grand knight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, did okay? Did she ever have a world champion title? Yeah. Yeah. C-H-A. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get we'll get to that, I guess. Then, right. But anyways. Um, I, uh, I I went in there and told him to announce that uh, that uh, somebody had taken my dog, and uh, so you know, man, I mean, there was hundreds of people there, and half of them pulled out of there and went to went to checking and looking and whatever, and I gave it about ten minutes, and I jumped in my vehicle and headed toward uh, for sales to uh, uh, talk to the sheriff's department. Well, just as soon as I pulled out of that fairground and got back on, I think it's uh, 421, uh, there sat a, uh, a sheriff's uh, vehicle. Um, it was a, uh, one of them Chevy Tahoes. And uh, I pulled over there, and it was a deputy, and I told him what happened and everything. And uh, so he said, well, he would... Uh, but that and everything knew about it. So I come on home and uh, the next morning, which, you know, I had seven crews of people going. So that was a, I, that was a busy thing, but I had some good foreman time. And, and so uh, I asked Jim Randolph if he knew anybody down in that area mm-hmm. that, um, you know, uh, might help me in some way. So in the meantime, the next morning, uh, right after I'd talked to Jim, uh, a deputy sheriff called me and he'd give me a name. Now, I can't give you that name because over the years I have forgotten it. That's fine. That's fine. You did mention Jim Randolph, a very highly respected man uh, that most every coon hunter knew back in in that day yeah he was he's a good honest person yes and, uh, uh he and i hung together for years all right and, uh, he passed away back several years ago right but anyways uh he gave me the name benny's i had a name now and he gave me the name of uh gail flowers mm-hmm. and he said now He's an English dog man, but he said uh, he's a good person. So I called him, and he's and he says, uh, and I gave him the name of this guy, and he said, "You you get yourself down here." He says, "I'll help you any way I can." And he says, uh, uh, "He's uh, this guy had stolen a dog from him once upon a time, and um, he just did not have nothing for him, if you know what I'm saying." Sure. So he and I, I was there for a week, 
Uh, I just got me a motel room and uh, we'd get together every morning. Well, uh, I heard this dog barking and so I got out and uh, I went up and uh, uh, there was a uh, a window that was out of this building and this big red bone dog jumped up on me, jumped up in my face. And um, so, you know, I had a, a, just a little light and I just put it on his collar and it was, uh, the dog was out of uh, uh, West Virginia. So I got the name and uh, phone number and uh, so I called the guy the next day and he said, yeah, he was stolen. So I told him where he was at. And, uh, but anyways, we went into some bad uh, neighborhoods, if you know what I'm saying. And um, Daryl, uh, Gail, he would tell them people, you know, if anything happens to this dog, there's going to be some, somebody going to pay for it. And uh, so he would tell them that, 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 you know, we knew we talked the dog. And, you know, a lot of times people, they'll just get rid of the evidence, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but I never could figure out this guy because I didn't know him, if you know what I'm saying. But there was uh, three counties around there that uh, the sheriff's departments, uh, this guy was wanted for armed robbery and whatever, and they was looking for him anyway. And um, this one little deputy, even on his time off, he would float that river because he lived, uh, his wife and kids, they had a house next to a river. And uh, uh, I couldn't have asked for three different police departments to be any more help than what they were, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Mm -hmm. We really jumped in there and took this really serious. So we got so hot on them is after a week, I came home to just kind of uh, get me a day's rest and see what was happening with my business. And, and I told Gail, I said, I'll be, I'll be back down uh, tomorrow. And uh, I came home and got me a little sleep. And I woke up and one of the deputies called me and he said that, uh, well, I'd woken up during the night and and the uh, phone was ringing, and, and he called me, and he said, uh, um, they brought her and tied her in the car wash, which was right next to uh, a police station. And they called the police station and said, the dog you're looking for is tied up in the, in the uh, mm. uh, car wash. So... Then about a uh, so I goes down and gets my dog. She's fat and slick, and, and uh, it's uh, six days before the ACHA World Hunt, and uh, of course she ain't in that good of shape or nothing, and she's been stressed bad, and uh, but I got her back, and uh, so then they called me and said they had caught him. And uh, said he was going to be uh, 
he was going to get free room and board for a long time because they had him on so much. But anyways, I goes to London, Kentucky, or London, Ohio, where they had the ACHA world hunt over there. I I never even, I never took her hunting because I didn't want to make her sore, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to, in the uh, semifinal cast, I'd won, I won all three of my casts. And in the semifinal cast, I was ahead 75 points. And the other dogs was just more or less making a bed. And mine was running a coon uh, across the road in another woods. And uh, the um, chairman of the board was the master of hounds on the cast, Mr. Arlie Weddington. And Mm -hmm. he he turned to me and he said, Charlie, I timed this coming out. He said, this judge pulled us out two four. That was when you had to be back at one o'clock or something for the semifinal cast. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just didn't wait and do it on Saturday night then. And uh, so he said, I doubt if we're going to make it. And so I ain't going to say who it was or anything, but I said, give me the scorecard. I signed it. I asked him who was second in the cast. He told me. And I knew the guy, liked him. He's a good person. And uh, so they jumped in the truck and out there they went. And uh, they left this boy with me at New, his way back. And uh, their taillights wasn't out of, out of sight. And uh, <laughs> she came tree. And I told him, I said, son, you can wait here, but I'm, I'm going get that dog and then I'm going to that fairground just to see if I could have made it and that boy he went with me and I mean I ran in there and you could see this going in with your light about some two coon on that tree if you know what I'm saying <laughs> I wasn't interested in that I just grabbed her and and uh, out there we went and we got in that truck and uh, I mean I ran 90 and 100 mile an hour down them little old roads. We don't and, advise the listeners to do this, but <laughs> I just want to see myself if I truly did the right thing, you know what I'm saying? And right. so when we got there, the final cast was a leaving. Hmm. So we was about uh, 14 or 15 minutes late, and they made it by two minutes. So, you know, I I was well satisfied with that, if you know what I'm saying, because yeah, hunting has been something with me, is, and I know it's been the same way with you uh, now. Uh, when I was competition hunting, uh, I was a competitor, but I didn't want nothing that wasn't coming to me, but I wanted everything that was coming to me. And, uh, but I was fair with people, but I met way, way more good people made good friends than I did uh, bud holes, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, that, oh, was, yeah. that was a whole lot of the hunting with me. So the, the next time that she got stolen, I was out in Illinois uh, and uh, <clears throat> was 
with some people. And uh, we was near uh, Flora, a hunting. And uh, <clears throat> we just kind of met up there, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, she was she was by herself. She got off to herself. The other dogs was in to the left, and she had, she had went in to the right, and she got in there, and you could just you just could hear, her. and 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 she came free. So we stood there a little bit, and, and you know, out there they got bigger woods than what we do, in mm -hmm. in certain areas. Yeah, and, uh, for sure. So mm -hmm. We we went to walking. Uh, to her and we could still hear the other dogs and we probably never got halfway to her and uh, we had walked for maybe six, seven minutes and uh, she just touched and uh, I said well, you know, that ain't her and so uh, I just I got my tracker, which you had them. I had a beat tracker. I think that was before these garments came out. And I had a Johnson, and uh, she was still at the same place. So I, I couldn't figure that out. You know what I'm saying? So we just we just followed the beat. We went in there, and her uh, her tracking collar was hanging in a bush. So again. There goes my stomach, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, so these boys, uh, they they can't figure it out. You know, they're they're all good, honest people. And uh, so they said, you know, uh, we we looked all night and half the day the next day, but we knew when we found that tracking collar. Uh, hanging uh, in a probably a four and a half foot high in a bush and it was snapped if you know what I'm saying that somebody touched a dog so they said you know we'll, we'll find it so they uh, they put pictures and posters up at Ever feed store, everywhere around there. You know what I'm saying? And we didn't get nothing until uh, it was about uh, five months. I gave up, and uh, but I had kept it quiet. And the reason I'd kept it quiet this time was I was thinking somebody might have taken her wanting a litter of pups or something, you know what I'm saying? And I just kept quiet. And anyways, there was a lady called me uh, one evening uh, from Kansas City, Kansas. And she says, Are, is your name Charles Butler? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, why in the world did you sew this dog over the fence in my yard. And I said, uh, what do you mean? She said, well, this is, this is the nameplate. This is, this is what it says. And she said, you pulled up there in that Lincoln, that black Lincoln, and stopped on that. And she lived right 
right just next to the interstate there, 70. And she says uh, uh, they were out there uh, barbecuing. And she said, why did you throw this dog and then run and, and get back in your car and leave? And I said, ma'am, is that a black and white female coonhound? Well, it's a black and white female dog. And I said, okay. I knew, knew these boys. And so I gave her a name and I said, uh, uh, you hold that dog. Don't you let nobody have it. And I said, uh, I, I give her the name of this guy. And I said, he will show you his driver's license and he will give you $500. So I called that boy, one of them out in Illinois, and I gave him the name and everything. And uh, uh, she'd give me her name, her phone number, and how to find her. And uh, he went out there and got her. She had a, and when I got her back, uh, he went out there and got her, and then he brought her to me uh, a couple days after. And uh, she had flea collar on her, fatter mud. And I had her home about a week, and she came in heat, which that was completely out of her heat cycle. Uh, a dog, when they're taken like that, they go through a lot of stress. And I imagine, some, yeah. You know, sometimes they just don't... Um, but anyways, uh, getting to this, uh, they found out who Tucker uh, by the description of the vehicle. Um, and uh, so they told me, uh, we will take care of it. Let us take care of it. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to know nothing about it. So that's how that ended. But you know, if it hadn't been for uh, Gail Flowers, I would have never uh, got the hunter in a world hunt. And and if it hadn't been for, and those deputies, I got to give them a lot of credit. And if it hadn't been for those boys out there in Illinois, and, and that's what friends will do for you. Well, I had a brand night female, and I took her out to um, Lonnie Mears. Breeder Gold in the River Dam, and he was pretty old at the time. And uh, but Lonnie and I got to talking, and uh, I was telling him about that dog that we had stolen about a year before. And uh, he said, Charlie, I've been hunting with that dog about three nights a week. And then he said, There can't be another dog in the world like that, like you just described. And uh, so sure enough, it was him. And uh, hit. I won't go into a whole lot of detail how I got him back, but I had to buy him back, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, But I found out who had stolen him, and I found out who had uh, sent him. Uh, this guy went out there. This, this boy had hunted with this dog uh, when I had him, and he went to... Uh, uh, out there to Kansas City, uh, uh, Missouri, and uh, he uh, went to work for this guy. And that guy actually sent him to steal the dog. And the guy that had the dog, I think he knew all along that he was stolen, but he didn't steal him. And he didn't send him to be stolen. But anyways, um, 
the guy that had sent that boy to steal the dog, which we found out later who stole him and, and they'd cut him out of the pen. Uh, that guy, he, uh, he was in a lot of problems out there, uh, in Missouri. And, um, uh, but this, this guy that lived within, uh, <clears throat> Oh, 15 mile of me. He uh, was in the mules and he go out there mule trading all the time. And uh, he knew me. He knew my dog. We'd hunted together. And evidently he had seen him out there. And all I'd get phone calls and it'd just say, uh, it would just say, your dog's in Missouri. And I try to figure out that was all they had ever said. And I try to figure out who that voice was. And finally, you know, after we found out who tucked the dog and everything, then I found out. I called him and I said, why didn't you just tell me? Well, he went out there and done too much dealing, you know what I'm saying? Hmm. Well, Charlie, you know, back in the day, uh, there was a lot more of this kind of thing that went on. I went to work at UKC in 1983 full time. Yep. And when I would sit on the, the phone there in the office and, and get calls from people like you and others, and I dealt with several cases of dogs that had been stolen and moved and usually there was this kind of a connection. Someone from a different area would come into the area where the dog disappeared. And then eventually, you know, you could ch trace that uh, that trail, you know. And yep. oh, I remember a case one time where a guy had stolen a couple of dogs, had taken them to a house out in the country, had hid them in the attic of the house. Yeah. When they got up on him and all the heat kind of got on this guy, he, uh, you know, he, they traced the trail out of the house across a big cornfield to, uh, to, uh, a gravel road where somebody had picked him up on the gravel road. And, and, you know, and back then, one case I remember, the dogs that were recovered, I believe, over, in Illinois or Missouri or somewhere over that way, and and uh, the dog had been microchipped, which uh -huh. was something that wasn't common back in those days, right. you know. So that's why it's important for my listeners to know, you know, to get these dogs microchipped, get a record of them. I think the Internet has helped to, uh, to uh, discourage a lot of this stuff because – News does travel so fast, yeah, and and there's so much more, uh, many more people, but man, back in the day that you're describing, you know, there wasn't much that a guy could do unless you knew somebody like Gail Flowers in an area that yeah. could help yeah. you, you know. You know, because there wasn't even. Uh, I mean, I had one of the first cell phones that came out because of my business. Yeah, and it had a battery on it bigger than a uh, <laughs> like a car battery. If yeah. You know what I mean. yeah, and yeah. Uh, so you know there wasn't these little 
these little thin things that we carry now. You know. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. And uh, well, Charlie, I, you know, I um, when did Gracie win the world championship? Uh, in 1989 in Columbus, Mississippi. I see. Now, this, was this after the second time she was stolen? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What an amazing story. And how long did she live? Well, I had uh, read her, and uh, she had her pups, and I hunted her so hard that she never really had milk, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I had bred her. Uh, once before, my, boy, I mean, I just fought it, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I went her to uh, leave her. And uh, uh, J.C. Ellis called me, and he said, I want to pick. And he said, I don't I, I don't care what it costs. I said, well, J.C., it ain't going to cost you any more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, But anyways, then the second time I bred her, and I, uh, she just acted a little off. She had seven pups. And so I ran her to the vet and he was only like, you know, I could, I could see from where I lived, uh, in the country, uh, he was right at the edge of town. So I could actually, uh, see his uh, office, uh, across the fields. And, uh, so I just took her over and he checked her all over. And he says, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with her. He said, I can give her a, he said, I'll let her air if you want. But he said, she ain't got no pup in her. And he said, uh, I can give her a shot of uh, uh, oxytocin mm-hmm. yes. uh, to clean her, uh, help clean her out. And I said, yeah. okay. And I said, you don't think we need to do an x-ray? He said, well, we can do one if you want. So it was truthfully my choice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And but he said, I, you know, he said, I can't feel nothing. He said, I, I just think it's uh, it's waste of time. I said, okay. I took her back home. And she never she never acted no different. And then uh, three days, she she died. Oh, my. Hmm. She was seven. And I talked wow. her over, and I said, I want to know. And she had a big pup in her. Oh, no. Mm. Mm. So, you know. Uh, and then it was just like, man, I just lost one dog after the other, if you know what I'm saying at the time. And mm-hmm. I was always fortunate this is I had, uh, you can only hunt one dog in a hunt at a time. And, yeah. uh, I was always fortunate enough to have at least two good dogs at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Running the hunts, if you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, the fellows across the country that are hunting the Buck Creek dogs remember these dogs that you're talking about, Charlie, and they remember you and the part that you played in, in the development of those dogs and the promotion of them and all. And and it, it's just good to to know that you're still doing well. You've got some dogs right now, you say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I, uh, well, I know you remember... Uh, Bill Bowling that used to hunt. Oh, dogs. sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, me and Bill's always been buddies because uh, Bill, he hunted the dog uh, in a night hunt, same way I did. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, he didn't try to flim flam nobody. Everybody, everybody come in always 
really like Bill, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and Bill could win with a dog. But he, um, Bill had a stroke. Mm. And um, he don't talk real plain. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, he's got a little female. I got a male. And then we got an older, older dog. But uh, we don't hunt like we did. <laughs> yeah well we just did a podcast it's airing the week that you i'm talking with you this one we're doing will be on in uh yeah. on the following week but about i titled it too old to quit and it was based on the story that i wrote about an old man and his grandson the grandson questioning him about why he doesn't hunt as hard as he used to and the old man had basically decided to quit until the, his grandson kind of rekindled the fire a little bit in him. So it's always good to see the older hunters, uh, you know, still enjoying the sport. And you can. You can't enjoy it at the level you once did. If if you think you can get out there and run with these guys this, this day and age, I think a guy our age is going to be badly fooled. But but we still can enjoy the sport, and we still can keep our hounds. And, and I'm glad to hear that you and Bill are still hunting together, and, and that that's great. And I really appreciate you sharing the time with me here, Charlie. I think our, our time has barely, uh, basically gotten away from us. But, um, man, um, that's amazing story, Gracie. Uh, stolen twice. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a true ordeal, and uh, this this is uh, you know at that particular time uh, to me they were some of the finest dogs being hunted in the hunts because people uh, yeah when they won a world hunt they didn't really retire their dog they just ran the next world hunt you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. And, uh, it was just like Gracie. I went, I went, uh, fifth place with her there because I had to withdraw her. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, they had it in Unadilla, Georgia. Right. Remember and, that at the rodeo arena there in Unadilla, yeah. right off the interstate 75. And then, uh, I went fourth place with her there the next year. Uh, there was only three dogs in the final. And, uh, the judge in the semifinal cast had uh, scratched all three dogs twice for not hunting on the hunting rule because they'd made beds while she was working. Mm. And it was so dry, I had just I scored two hundred on one coon. And then the it was so dry the time caught her on one. And I lost a hundred and one of the other dogs had 125 on that first coon. And like I said, they were scratched three times and uh, master hounds on the cast, put them back in because he didn't think there was going to be a final cast. If you know what I'm saying. Mm. (laughs) Making the rules as you go. And then the uh, mm. the next year, I had her entered in Illinois, and uh, uh, I hate to say this, but a couple of my best buddies, <laughs> I ain't going to name them, 
but uh, they would drink the moonshine, and they got her drunk on moonshine. <laughs> so Bill asked me, he says, well, what do you want to do? I said, just get in your truck and take her home. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, then the next year is when I won it. Mm. So, <laughs> What a life and what the stories Gracie could tell if dogs could talk, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, Charlie Butler, it's been great to visit with you, and I certainly hope to get you back on the podcast again and we can talk some more. I wish you the very best, and uh, and uh, our listeners, I'm sure, will enjoy hearing this remarkable story of a, of a dog not stolen once but twice. And, uh, and what was the male dog that you said that was stolen also? Uh, that dog, he was a... Uh, Double banjo bread dog, and uh-huh. uh, I called him Woodbud. Uh, uh-huh. He he was a uh, he was a uh, fill in dog for me, if you know what I'm saying. I mm-hmm. trained him, mm-hmm. but he he just wasn't a uh, he was a one bark tree dog and could run a track. He just was a uh, semi silent dog, and I just never ever liked mm-hmm. him quite. If you know what I'm saying. Right. Well, you know, I used to write articles about this and the precautions that we could take, you know, and I, I've been one that always carried padlocks and locked my dogs in the dog box. But Gracie's story proves yeah. that that doesn't always work, you know, no. and uh, but uh, there was a time in the and it, ba- it bears retelling that you have to be careful when you're traveling with your dogs, especially uh, oh, yeah. around yeah. the events and so forth. Because most coon hunters are honorable. Most coon hunters would do the right thing and wouldn't think of, of, of taking someone else's dog. But there are also people out there that will. So yeah. uh, the moral of this story, I think, is, uh, you know, error on the side of caution. Always, yeah. you know, true. protect that dog. Yeah. Charlie Butler, I'm going to have to let you go for today, but I thank you so much, sir, for giving me the opportunity just to catch up with you again. Hope to see you. Maybe do you have any plans to go to Autumn Oaks this year? Well, yeah, I usually go uh, every year, but I go on Saturdays. All right. Well, loaf around a little while on Saturday and, and, uh, you know, anymore, most of the young guys, I don't know, but uh, most of the guys, that was really uh, heavy competition hunters. A lot of them was older than me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So many of them is gone. You know, I didn't well, they know. have. That's for sure. You know, I used, I've said in the past, I could at one time, of course, I was working for UKC and I was visible to a lot of people, but I could walk in a clubhouse or a headquarters at Walker Days or Black and Tan Days or something. And I'd know two thirds of the people in the room and it'd be oh. full of people. Now, <laughs> I don't know any of them until well, someone, you know, comes around yep. and says, Hey, Steve, I remember you from when. But, uh, well, I'll look forward to We'll be in the headquarters building at Autumn Oaks right near the head, uh, UKC headquarters. So I, I hope you'll come by and we can get to shake hands again after all these years. And, and I, I can't thank you enough for coming on with me today. All right, Steve. I wish you the best. Thank you, my friend. You have a great day. You too. Uh-huh. Bye now. Bye.
Well, folks, I hope that you've enjoyed our episode today. Um, I titled this one Lost and Found. Um, We had two guests, of course, Billy Dwyer and Charlie Butler, who had slightly different stories, one about a dog that was lost for four days and thankfully found uh, unharmed, uh, and a story about a Obviously, uh, world-class coonhound. She ultimately won the ACHA World Hunt that was stolen not once but twice. Uh, that's a story about Charlie Butler. And we had a bit of a glitch there in uh, Charlie's uh, story where he talked about a dog that went out to Missouri and mentioned uh, uh, Lonnie Mears helping him with the situation there and uh, the description leading up to that was omitted due to a power outage but at any rate i think you get the gist gist of things that um you know there is a coon hunter network out there that we can turn to when we do lose a dog as was the case recently on facebook with uh billy's situation and also when charlie back in the days before the internet uh, when communication was tough and uh, the cell phones were non-existent and, and social media uh, was non-existent. He was able to turn to a fellow um, coon hunter uh, that helped him uh, along the way. And, uh, of course, the authorities, the police departments that uh, helped in the aid of getting Gracie back. Uh, the one thing that this podcast, I hope, um, instilled in the listeners is that we have to be vigilant when it comes to our dogs. Um, They are tempting to 'er ne'er-do-wells or thieves that would uh, take all that hard work and and not to mention the fact that these dogs are special. Members of our families take all that away from us if we're not really careful. Uh, I do keep locks on my dog box, but as you see uh, in Charlie's story, um, even though he had locked Gracie in the in the box, uh, these were still able to get her out and and take her away. So just be vigilant, you know. Be be conscious of your surroundings and any suspicious looking people around your dog. As Charlie had mentioned in one instance. Uh, people that seem to be overly interested. In other words, coming around, asking questions, uh, you know, a little more than just saying, hey, you got a nice dog there. Uh, uh, and uh, so just just be aware of what's going on around you and your dogs. Uh, and then we always have to be reminded that each time we turn these dogs loose, It could be our last time. So anything we can do to protect those dogs and bring them back safely, we want to do. And thank goodness for Garmin's and and these other uh, dog tracking devices that enable us uh, today as never before to take, uh, uh, take good care of our dogs and bring them home. I want to take this opportunity to thank the good folks at WHuntingSupply.com for providing the opportunity to bring you this podcast each week. And if you have need of anything to do with your dogs, uh, apparel, 
any kind of an equipment and especially electronics, uh, they're the folks to go to and they definitely service what they sell and provide great customer support. Well, folks, that's going to round it up for another episode of Gone to the Dogs. And uh, we hope that you enjoy this one and we look forward to seeing you again next week.